Welcome to Bed Crime Stories Podcast. I'm your host, T. To my bed crimers, hi, how are you? I hope you're doing well. To anyone new here, a warm welcome. Thank you for checking out the channel. Let me just ask that after listening to and or watching the video, if you found you enjoyed it, please do me a favor, smash that like button. And if you want to support the work I do, please consider a Patreon membership. You'll find a link in the description. Now, let's dig in. And just like that, the state has responded. I'm talking about the Delphi case in Indiana and the prosecutor's response to that 136-page Frank's memorandum suspect Richard Allen's defense team filed with the court. If you aren't familiar with this case, it's about the February 13, 2017 crime against teenagers Libby German and Abby Williams. The girls were nabbed off a bridge and found dead the next day. In their long Franks memorandum, the defense alleged that the probable cause affidavit for the search warrant for Richard Allen's home was improperly obtained by prosecutors, and because of that, they want the evidence unearthed at the home of Allen deemed inadmissible. The defense alleged that the Carroll County Sheriff, Tony Liggett, quote, intentionally concealed evidence and lied about other evidence to obtain the search warrant. The defense also claims Allen is innocent and that a group of white nationalist males who practice an ancient Norse religion called Odinism are the ones responsible for the crime. They try to paint the crime as a ritualistic sacrifice by these Odinites. The memo has caused quite a stir and made for a lot of speculation. What's interesting about the memo is that Allen's defense team is claiming Allen is innocent, and yet the memo's purpose is to get key evidence linking Allen to the crime scene thrown out. That key piece of evidence is a firearm that was found at the Allen home that is linked to an unspent bullet found at the crime scene. That is the only piece of physical evidence, at least that we know of, linking Allen to the crime scene. So it's critical evidence in the prosecution's case against Allen. But let's remember that the prosecutors did not have to put all of their evidence against Richard Allen in that affidavit. It's possible that they have, say, DNA evidence that we, the public, just don't know about. We won't know for sure until the trial. And if Allen's attorneys are so sure that he's innocent, then why do they care whether there's a firearm at his house that is entered into evidence? Now, a week after the defense's long filing was submitted, Carroll County Prosecutor Nick McLeland is defending the October 2022 search warrant served by investigators at Richard Allen's home, and McLeland is also arguing against having cameras in the courtroom during all case proceedings. Let's start with the camera issue. The state is concerned about the court proceedings being broadcast, citing the defense team's, quote, extrajudicial grandstanding with the filing of certain court documents that were publicly released. That's what you call McLeland throwing shade at the defense for putting out the 136-page memo 
with the fascinating tale about the Odinites holding ceremonies in the woods, a memo that has definitely captured everyone's attention. We can see how dropping that long memo about these alleged murderous Odinites placing branches in symbolic formations over the girls' bodies got everyone interested in the case wound up. McLeland is concerned that cameras could be distracting to the proceedings and that it will allow the defense to grandstand on camera about what McLeland calls the imagined bad motives of the sheriff, the state police, and about himself. And if we think about the O.J. Simpson and the Casey Anthony trials, which were televised, we can see how things did turn into a circus at times and how the lawyers were showboating for the cameras. McLeland further argues that broadcasting evidence to the public, quote, allows for the potential members of the public seeing gruesome images of the death of two little girls while also seeing the toll that it takes on the family to see this tragedy play out in court. End quote. McLeland is also concerned that AI, artificial intelligence, could be used to create deep fakes that can alter what is actually happening in the courtroom. The prosecutor is particularly concerned about pretrial hearings being broadcast for fear it could taint potential jurors. The state doesn't want its jury pool having predisposed biases and opinions about the evidence before the trial. It also expresses concerns that cameras might accidentally show the identities of jurors or underage witnesses. I have to say, reporter Vinnie Politan of Court TV got really lathered up about the issue last night on his show. Politan wants cameras in the courtroom for the transparency that they offer. And let's not forget the public has a constitutional right to observe these proceedings. Politan felt it was ridiculous for Nick McLellan to think that jurors would be affected by one pool camera. In his opinion, jurors quickly forget about that one camera. I think the media is getting tired of having to fight for its right to have that camera in the courtroom for these high-profile cases. So, Special Judge Francis Gull will be the one deciding whether the benefit of broadcasting the court hearings outweighs the state's concerns. And according to WTHR News, court administrative staff have already been scouting for potential locations for the media outside the courtroom and also for camera angles inside the courtroom. Before I share McLeland's defense of the search warrant for Allen's residence, let me tell you that the prosecutors are also requesting Richard Allen's medical records from the Westfield Correctional Facility where he's currently hanging out, shooting the shit and trying to avoid other prisoners who may have shanks in their jumpsuits. He's also allegedly trying to stay away from corrections officers who also practice Odinism, allegedly. The request for medical records comes after Allen's lawyers claimed that their client is suffering mental health issues and a decline in his physical well-being 
as a result of being held at that specific facility. They want to move to another location, so the prosecutors are saying they need to see those medical records in order to respond to the defense's claims. The prosecution is also requesting that all future pleadings and filings be sealed for the court's review before being released to the public. I would imagine this request is due in large part to the 136-page Frank's memo being released to the public. We've seen the feeding frenzy that that has led to. Finally, on to Prosecutor Nick McLellan's defense of the probable cause affidavit to search the Allen home. McLeland wrote that the state believes the allegations made by Allen's defense team are not true. He wrote, quote, that the defense's allegations are not supported by evidence that they have collected, end quote. By they, there, McLeland is referring to the investigators who collected the evidence from the Allen home. McLeland also described the Franks memo as, quote, colorful, dramatic, and highly unprofessional. He also wrote, quote, Sheriff Tony Liggett did not intentionally or recklessly omit evidence or lie about evidence in the probable cause affidavit or lie about evidence to support the search warrant, end quote. The prosecution also wrote that the defense's memo only contained 13 pages relevant to the Frank's memo's purpose and the, quote, remaining 90% of the memorandum outlines its fanciful defense for social media to devour, end quote. They're right about social media devouring the memo. It's caused a frenzy, and a lot of people have expressed reasonable doubt about Alan's guilt after eating up every page and word of that memo. I heard one lawyer on YouTube say that the defense sort of abused the purpose of the Franks hearing memo by going into their long, detailed, Odinist defense angle. The memo was supposed to be strictly for the defense to ask the court for a Franks hearing. A Franks hearing, in case you don't know, is a court proceeding wherein the court is asked to determine if the police lied to obtain a search warrant. In my opinion, it does feel as though the defense sort of abused the purpose of that memo, and they did this knowing that the document was going to be released to the public. Note that Judge Gull has yet to rule on any of these issues, meaning whether cameras should be allowed in court proceedings, whether Richard Allen's medical records from Westfield should be handed over to the prosecution, and whether or not a court hearing should be held to decide if the search warrant was improperly obtained. So we shall have to wait and watch for her decisions on these issues. Since we've spent some time in recent videos looking at that Odinist angle the defense brought up and the people they implicated, I thought I'd share information about what led the prosecutors in 2022 to Richard Allen's doorstep to charge and arrest him for Libby and Abby's deaths. Back in 2017, right after the crime occurred, Richard Allen called the tip line. He was then asked to meet with a Department of Natural Resources officer named Dan Doolin. So many tips were flowing in that the Delphi police and Indiana State Police seemed to be grabbing every officer to assist with interviews. Allen and Doolin met at a grocery store in Delphi. 
I'm not sure why they met at a grocery store. Seems like a weird place, but there you go. Doolin was supposed to be recording this interview, so presumably he recorded Alan's responses to his questions. Alan called the tip line to admit that he was at the Delphi Historic Trail System, the same area that Libby and Abby were at on the day of the crime. Doolin was presumably interviewing Alan to find out where exactly in that trail system he had been hiking and when exactly on February 13th of 2017 he was there. Alan told Doolin that he was at the trail between 1330 and 15.30 p.m. So that would be 1.30 p.m. and 3.30 p.m. on February 13th. Note that we know from Libby's photo of Abby on the Monin High Bridge, which was taken at 2.07 p.m., and from her miraculous Snapchat video of Bridge Guy walking behind her and Abby at 2.13 p.m. and telling them to go down the hill, we know precisely when they were nabbed. By Alan saying he was there from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m., he put himself at that same area right when the crime kicked off. Alan also told Doolin that he parked at the Old Farm Bureau building and walked to the Freedom Bridge. While at the Freedom Bridge, he saw three females. He noted one was taller and had brown or black hair. He did not speak to the three females. He walked from the Freedom Bridge to the Monin High Bridge, but did not see anybody. He said he was watching a stock ticker on his cell phone as he walked. Good luck with that as you navigate the old Monin High Bridge. Really? You're on that old narrow bridge that is 63 feet tall has no railings to hold on to to keep you from falling, is missing many planks below your feet, and you're looking at your phone instead of looking down at the planks. I don't believe that. That and Alan's time period for being at the trails should have sent up big red flags for Doolin, especially when Libby's Snapchat video came out. Doolin, I'm assuming, looked Alan in the face as he interviewed him. Wouldn't he have also observed Alan's height, physical build, and gait? Clearly, Doolin did not view Richard Allen as a suspect because he didn't raise any red flags with anyone. But Doolin wasn't a seasoned homicide detective in a big city like, say, New York City, where murders occur on the regular. He was a Department of Natural Resources officer. Doolin's interview with Allen found its way to the bottom of the case files from 2017 up until 2022. It was only unearthed in September of 2022 when investigators went back to square one and began going back over all the evidence. Note that Doolin's recording of that chat with Allen in 2017 cannot be found. Doolin was supposed to record all of his interviews, so either he forgot to record this one or the recording got lost. It's never good when stuff like this happens because it feeds directly into conspiracy theories. Just saying. When investigators found the Doolin interview with Richard Allen and began looking into him as a possible suspect, they called Allen in for a second interview on October 13th of 2022. In this new interview, 
Richard Allen told the investigators that he was at the trails on the day of the crime between noon and 1.30 p.m. So suddenly his timeline changed from 1.30 to 3.30 p.m. to noon to 1.30 p.m. Either Allen forgot when he was at the trails that day, or he lied in this new 2022 interview. Again, Libby and Abby ran into Bridge Guy between 2.07 p.m. and 2.13 p.m. For Allen to say he left at 1.30 p.m. gets him out of the crime scene area when the crime occurred. That's very convenient for him. But again, there's that video of Bridge Guy, which to me, now that I've had a chance to stare at Richard Allen in many different photos, looks a lot like Richard Allen. There's the bullet at the crime scene that ballistics tests allegedly show cycled through a firearm found at Allen's residence, a black Sig Sauer P226 40 caliber handgun. Other items found and seized at the Allen residence include one forty caliber SNW cartridge, one forty caliber SNW cartridge from inside the Sig Sauer, two magazines containing forty caliber cartridges, multiple sweatshirts, jackets, including a blue one just like Bridge Guys, hats, gloves, and boots, numerous knives, multi-tools, multiple laptops, multiple hard drives, multiple flash drives and memory cards, multiple cell phones, a cutting of carpeted area underneath spare tire of Ford Focus, swabs of driver lap belt and driver shoulder belt of Ford Focus, and two swabs from passenger side of carpeted floorboards. So despite the case the defense is trying to make against these Odinist dudes, the prosecution stands by its behavior. It says Sheriff Liggett did not lie or obfuscate the facts. It also stands by the evidence submitted in the probable cause affidavit for the search warrant for Richard Allen's residence. A lot of former detectives on YouTube are saying that the defense and their Odinist angle are all wet that it's much ado about nothing, and that it was sort of a cheap shot by the defense. But remember, it's the defense's job to try and sow the seeds of reasonable doubt. And also remember, it's going to be up to the jurors who sit in on the trial to decide whether Richard Allen is guilty or not, and much of that comes down to how the evidence is presented, what the evidence is, how well the expert witnesses perform on the stand, how believable the witnesses are, and more. All I can say is that I feel sorry once again for Libby and Abby's families, who continue to experience an unpredictable roller coaster ride in their quest for truth and justice. It cannot be easy for them reading about ritualistic sacrifices in the woods and the awful details of how their loved one's bodies were found. They deserve the truth. They deserve justice, especially after waiting for so long. They're only human beings, and you have to wonder how much of this can they take. Until the next time on Bedcrumb Stories, if you learn something, do me a favor, hit that like button. It's free and it helps.